Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 267 How to Start Business as a Game Designer Presented by Brian Dalrymple Jesse Edwards and Hal Mangle. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to Metatopia 2020. Uh, this is how to start a business as a game designer. Uh, I am Brian Dalrymple. Uh, I am a, a co-founder of Alligator Alley Entertainment, a RPG publisher. Uh, I also own a uh, friendly local game store in South Florida. Um, I guess I'll go next. I'm Hal Mangold. I'm um, uh, one of the owners of Green Ronin Publishing and also the owner of uh, Atomic Overmind Press. Uh, you're muted. No, it's a <laughs> to talk. Um, I'm Jesse Edwards. I am a game designer. I've been designing for a few years now. I was the one of the winners for the Metatobia sponsorship years ago, and since then it's been full steam ahead. Um, I'm in the process of building my own company uh, with a business partner uh, that will be launching 2020, kind of like messed everything up a little bit. Yeah. But we are uh, working on launching that really shortly. So there's lots of really cool stuff coming up. So I'm kind of like in the process of building a company and going through everything. So here we are. Great. Um, awesome. I, I, does does what we are all intending to make make any real difference? I mean, my, my stuff is primarily role playing game publishing, and I think Brian's is, is as I do directionals that really don't matter, but he's still to be on the screen. Uh, uh, Brian's is also mainly RPGs. Are you doing uh, board games and card game stuff, or are you doing RPGs yeah, as well? Yeah, no, very tabletop board games. Cool, cool, great, that's great, awesome. awesome. We got some good spread. And Hal's Hal's got a lot more experience uh, uh, time wise in this. Uh, I, I think probably than either one of us. Uh, I've been doing this now for, uh, Alligator Alley's been, been up and running for three years. Uh, the, uh, my, my other business, my, my store is, is 32 years old. Uh, so we've made every mistake that you can make. Uh, and some of those uh, small business tips uh, are gonna translate over from the LGS to the publishing side, but we're here most of the day, I guess, to focus on the publishing side of things. Um, yeah, I mean, I think running a small business is running a small business to a certain extent, yeah. a certain level, but but other than that, yeah, there's different layers for what we do. Um, so I guess uh, I'll kick things off with my uh, general basic advice uh, when you're going about starting up a business, which I've I've done a lot of, in the last 10 years, I've started up five businesses. Not all of them are still running. Uh, but uh, when I get the idea that I want to uh, start a new venture, whether it's a publishing company, a game company, or what have you, um, 
a really solid idea is to put together a business plan. Uh, and if you have access to, uh, in my case, I'm lucky, one of my business partners is a financial services professional. Uh, so he's able to handle a lot of the uh, things that would normally be going to an accountant. Uh, for my store business, uh, I enlist the services of, of an accountant. And I, I think in, in reading the description of this panel, uh, that's uh, something that, that, that stood out to me was that uh, as much as we want to start our own companies and work on our own stuff and try to find ways where we can do things economically uh, in terms of getting started, uh, I think if you have access to uh, an accountant or somebody with that kind of experience uh, in, in startups and companies and taxes in general, from the beginning, it's a very worthwhile expense uh, to have them along. It's it, In the long run, it's not a lot of money that you'd be sending out that way, but it helps you avoid some very costly mistakes that can happen like right from the jump. Uh, like we incorporated wrong with one of my more recent companies. So uh, that had uh, implications with uh, the IRS and we had to uh, go through uh, a late uh, corporation type change, uh, which had impacts on our taxes. Uh, and if uh, we had been smart and enlisted the services of professional from the beginning, well, that's a mistake that we would not necessarily have made. Um, I guess that's my two cents on starting out and, and getting help. Yeah, I, I would. Uh, I certainly would um, would second that. Basically, from the standpoint of unless you want, unless the game you want to play is running a company, there's a lot of stuff to running a company that's really tedious and boring, and you can hire people to do it for you. And I've been it, like, I don't ever want to do, file my own taxes again. Really, <laughs> that's I like paying somebody to do that sort of thing. Um, I think also um, just from a simple pedestrian stuff, make sure you look over the, the the types of incorporation your state authorizes. Make sure you get your state business license, all that kind of stuff. There may be stuff in your locality you have to get a business license for. Um, the fees associated with that are usually pretty nominal, but you need to actually do that and have your paperwork done or, again, it can bite you in the butt later. It's just a bunch of simple steps you need to do just to sort of dot your I's and cross your T's to make sure that everything is um, on track and that can get you through that period and to the point of actually making stuff, which is what you really want to do. I mean, I think I think uh, Jesse, you are the, you're doing it right now. So I mean, you probably have the, your finger on the pulse most closely of any of us of, of what it's like to actually start up a business, especially in a pandemic year. So, you know. Um, I'm in Canada, so the laws okay. are a little bit different here. Um, and the biggest struggle was choosing whether to be like a sole proprietorship or incorporating because like, to do it myself and to work for myself and not have employees or without having like a huge team doing sole proprietorship is do you guys have that in the states yeah um in fact i my, my so my main company is an llc and then my single company is a single person llc which is basically to the federal to the federal government it's a pass-through entity i think where basically i have a an ein but it it's me and like everything goes directly to me even though it is a, a formal structure for you know for business so yeah like the thing yeah, with so board game design and building a company is that uh most people start very small scale and people tend to think that you have to invest a lot people 
automatically think really big. Like you need this, you need logos and graphics and a huge website. And I need to incorporate and incorporating. Like for me, it costs like $800 all in all, in all Canadian it was 800 bucks to be incorporated. But sole proprietorship is 60 bucks and yeah. it, it grabs your name. So you own your name, which is the important thing is like your branding. Right. And you don't need to fully invest a whole ton of money to start off. It is much better to like money is important and it, there's not a lot of it going around. So really invest on the things that are most important starting. And for me, like having a sole proprietorship, I did that years ago when I first started is like, just register your business name, you know, get all your legal things in order and then start game designing. Cause I I'm, I'm publishing my own games as a company. I'm not publishing others. So there's no need for me to start throwing thousands of dollars to the government and to merch and to these, you know, beautiful art graphics and all of these game pieces that you don't really need when you start. And as a company, the first thing you need to do is claim your name, but also is to like build your craft, right? Like you have to start at the beginning and like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you I think your point about like securing your identity is actually really, really good is that's the most important thing to start with is secure your company name, your identity, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And like you said, that's super, I'm glad to hear that it's in, as cheap in Canada as it is here. So yeah, that's, that's, that's a, that's a really good place to start. I think. Yeah. So in, in the U S there's a lot of different, uh, uh, corporate entity options that are available. Uh, there's LLCs, there's S corps, there's C corps. Now when I talked about, uh, us having setting up one of our companies as the wrong type of corporation, uh, when Hal was talking about pass-through for taxes, that's uh, kind of where that came into play. Uh, so uh, generally, the rule is for things like uh, sole proprietorships, partnerships, um, the S-Corp and the LLC kind of default to working similar to the partnership and sole proprietorship uh, for tax laws in the U.S., which means that if you're investing money in your company, you can claim the tax advantages of those things. Uh, whereas if you were setting yourselves up as a C-Corp, it's the corporation that, that claims the tax advantages. So uh, there's a difference. Uh, and the, uh, for the amount of money that it takes to register a corporation, that's going to vary also kind of depending on where you are. Um, $800 to register a corporation in Canada, is, that, that's, that's a lot. It's a lot less to register a corporation uh, in my state in Florida but I wouldn't even be required to register my corporation in my home state. I could register in Delaware or Nevada, which have cheaper options and just locate my headquarters where I am. Uh, but again, these are all really good questions, I think, uh, to spend some time with, with a professional that knows about all of the different pathways and cost structures. Uh, and ultimately, uh, getting that kind of advice is not terribly expensive, uh, and it can save you a, a lot of trouble down the way. Um, I definitely agree that that obviously you want to you want to make sure that you've secured your name. Uh, so, in, so, in addition to setting up uh, a business entity, you may also need to uh, do things like register a fictitious name, like uh, the the company that owns my store. Uh, is not the same name as my store. So in addition to securing my company's name, I also registered a fictitious name in a DBA uh, with my state. So that was a little bit of extra money there too, but then it also kind of locks in uh, for your state that you've got ownership over that name and such. And 
that extends into for game publishing into your your products as well. And then one of the things that's mentioned in the description of this panel is uh, how to secure trademarks and copyrights and uh, and that kind of stuff. Uh, and there's a lot of different pathways there. And again, having a professional that you can talk to about this stuff is is advisable for this kind of thing too, because there's a lot of options and a lot of different ways that you could wind up spending this money and getting a little bit of advice or a little bit of money can save you some money in the long run. Yeah. I do think Jesse's point though is a good one though, that you don't necessarily need to get too mired down in all of this to just start your company, right? Like just starting your company can be as simple as securing your identity. And honestly, if you're not even forming a corporate structure yet, just starting to make your game is to start with, you just have to realize that you're going to be responsible for the tax consequences of all that kind of stuff and everything like that. I mean, the, the corporate entity stuff is basically set up so you can sort of distance yourself largely, at least in, I mean, I, I, it's kind of just so you can distance yourself from the tax and legal consequences of, of, of what happens. And uh, if you're not worried about that to start with and you just want to start making stuff, you know, secure your identity and, and make sure that you're, uh, you're going to be you're covering your own butt as far as your tax. I, I think that's important. Like, for instance, a lot of people now are kickstarting stuff to start off their um, their businesses. And uh, I think that an important consideration is when you get a bunch of money, you're going to have to pay taxes on that. And I, I've uh, and that's something that you need to remember. Um, and and if you're funneling that through a business as opposed to your own personal finances, that can make a difference and and make your choices. But 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 the important part is the you can start really simply and then you know get more complicated as your business sort of ramps up i think i think that people get lost in that right people want to go big people want to uh they, they look at the end game and they look at like massive corporations but there are so many steps before you even get to there because you have to get your name and the thing i'm learning about game design and games in general is that you need the community behind you People don't think and don't take the time to build the communities behind their games and not just your company. If you've built a game, you've got to get on the social medias. You have to go to places like Metatopia. You have to get people playing your games. People don't buy games they don't know. And that is a lot of time that you have to put into your own brand, into your own company. Your, your company is not going to be successful. You can do all the legalities and have all of your corporate papers in line. But then what? Right. You have to invest in your own product, in your game. And that, again, is coming from like I'm publishing my own games. It's completely different if you're publishing other people's games. But you have to build that network and the community behind the name of the brand of your store, your company and of your games, if that's what you're going to be trying to sell. Yeah, I think that's 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 very true. So um, so we're. we're where do we think we want to take this after after we've sort of got covered the like make sure you have an accountant make sure your legal structure is correct make sure you're uh uh in compliance with your locality's rules for running a business uh and uh of course make sure you have something cool that you're gonna you know you, you have, you've concentrated on your product and you've got some people to sell what would be the next thing that you guys think would be the consideration after those basic steps are sort of established Use your well, I, I think Jesse <laughs> so, yeah, mentioned Metatopia is a great place uh, to, yes. to go to once you've got the design uh, set up or, or uh, any kind of uh, proto spiel uh, mm -hmm. where you can get feedback. Um, putting your game out in front of people that you don't know, I think, is super important. Um, and uh, is, is putting it out in front of as many people as possible. Uh, uh, 
kind of outside your normal circle of friends, I think, is, a, is an important thing. Um, I do think that uh, when you're getting yourself into a place where you're, you're representing a company with a product, if we're skipping ahead a bit here, mm -hmm. kind of going down the road a little bit, I think it's advisable uh, to look into uh, things like uh, trade associations and cooperatives and then figuring out how how the distribution chain is going to work for your product. Uh, you know, what model are you using? If Are you running Kickstarters and selling direct to uh, customers? Uh, do you plan on having your uh, games available in, in stores? Uh, are you planning on making use of distributors? Uh, and if you're if you're taking that step, uh, uh, a place like the Game Manufacturers Association uh, is a good resource for that kind of stuff. Uh, they do uh, an annual trade show, uh, virtual now, uh, for this coming year uh, in March, where they do a lot of education, uh, like uh, uh, what what is done here at Metatopia uh, for for companies uh, about how products go from publisher to fulfillment center if you're using one or through distributor and then eventually down to stores uh, and I guess the familiarizing yourself with the with the, the many different ways that you intend to get your product into the hands of gamers um, which may be different for a lot of different companies and then choosing the right pathway for you uh, I think is probably a, a big consideration Al mentioned uh, Kickstarter and the funds coming in with there. I mean, again, I think a lot in a lot of cases, you're going to find that there are entities that are offering to help with stuff like this. There are there are fulfillment houses, uh, there's distributors, there's uh, consultants, uh, there's cooperative groups of publishers uh, that help with that kind of thing. Uh, but I think it, it really depends on the type of product that you're making uh, and uh, who your customer is and how you think you want to get the product to them uh, will help you determine which path it is you uh, eventually wind up taking to, uh, to do that. And uh, trade association is a good way to help with that. And just talking with other publishers and people at, at uh, uh, conventions like this one uh, yeah. is a real big help to, to learn that kind of stuff. Do we have any... Um, any questions out there among the viewership at all about specific types of games or things like that? That uh... yeah, if anybody has questions, but just to to boil Brian's point down a little, just general networking, I think is the best thing to do. Talk to other publishers, talk to other other uh, talk talk to gamers and stuff like that. Talk go to conventions and stuff, and you can learn a lot about. Um, and, and I mean, I, this can sort of lead to researching your options in terms of stuff like the production end, stuff like that. Like the, like don't necessarily go with the first printer you run across or the first print-on-demand option that you come across. Do some research and look at other stuff. If you if you are working with Kickstarter, don't necessarily go with the, the first fulfillment people you talk to. Um, and I can speak from experience that some of them are better than others, and some of them can provide a nightmare experience, and some of them uh, are, are, are really great. Uh, and sometimes personal contact stuff is even better than some of the established stuff. Like on the, a couple of Kickstarters I did uh, coming up, I'm actually working with a friend of mine who is kind of running a fulfillment business on the side as a side part of his company. He has a, a fairly larger game publisher, but he runs it as a side, and he's just got expertise at shipping stuff. And it's 
much easier and much simpler. And I don't need all the bells and whistles that necessarily one of the fulfillment things had. And I know this guy because I just have talked to people and know people and stuff like that. Jesse, have you done a bunch of, have you done a bunch of, I assume you've done a bunch of convention going and stuff like that and, and, and bringing your games and everything there and, and talking with folks and other publishers. I've definitely, I've definitely been using the community. Uh, my first experience and my first like exposure to the industry was really Metatopia. Mm -hmm. So it was, it's kind of like my go-to for everything. And it's a good start. Yeah. It's a good place. It, it draws just, heavy. <laughs> yeah. And I just kind of say like the community, like never be afraid to ask anybody because all the people at Metatopia are always there to land a hand, to give you like their advice, talk about their experiences or what they went through. And especially, and there's so many people at Metatopia who have gone through everything you like the experts are there and you can't be afraid to ask questions because if you don't ask questions that's where you make mistakes and the best word of mouth right like if you are looking into any of the steps you know whether it's distribution or even like kickstarters or how to get started on kickstarter and from step one to distributing uh the professionals are there they have experience and people are always willing to guide you a little bit which is really really great because a lot of communities don't have that kind of support yeah that's the, one the gaming thing. industry yes, um, yeah, the hobby games industry as a whole is pretty friendly and pretty welcoming so yeah they, i think i think hal and i were saying we're just echoing the same thing that jesse said that um our industry is a lot different i think from a lot of other more competitive industries um in that uh generally everyone that you talk to, almost everyone that you talk to is going to be uh, giving and helpful and, and, and point you in, in, in different directions. Nobody, it, it's, it's extremely rare you come across somebody who's going to be like, well, I don't want to talk to you about that kind of, kind of stuff. It's, the vast, vast majority of people that you speak with in this industry are going to be open and helpful and offer tips and suggestions. When I was getting started with my first publishing company, one of the first people I talked to uh, was Hal. Uh, and he pointed me in the direction of uh, uh, of a printer uh, when I had no idea how to deal with a printer and you know I got uh, print quotes from other companies you know so I could get some kind of idea because I didn't know what a printer charged uh, and I didn't know if in speaking to one print I was going to get you know kind of their uh, the price that they wanted out of me as opposed to the price that they were going to take from me and uh, when you speak to uh, other companies in the business, the people in these companies are usually really forthcoming with this kind of information. They make recommendations and uh, they'll help you out. So, you know, the, 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 the thing about the community is, is real. Uh, talk to people. It's not just at Metatopia. Uh, this is the case uh, at Origins and Gen Con and Gamma Trade Show and almost anywhere else you go. It's one of the awesome things about this industry. Yeah. And one thing that should be highlighted is that, like, there is a lot of times not, like, the way it is done. There is the way people do it, and that's different. And you're, uh, you know, there are no, like for instance, there are no set art costs in the industry. There just aren't. You pay what you pay, and walking in, you have no idea how much, how much does a cover cost for either a board game or a role-playing game or something like that. Uh, ask people, and they will tell you how much they've paid, and what you can see what they've gotten and everything like that. And the rates vary wildly, and, the, and, and it's like that all over the place. How much did you pay to print that? There's no like you know set cost for that sort of thing. Uh, a lot of times, it's a lot of times it's like, well, I talked to this printer and they gave me this deal and and something like or something like that. So, word of mouth is really a lot. Of, there's a lot of word of mouth stuff. I mean, I still consist. I've been doing this for 
25 years or so now, and I still consistently will call up a friend and be like, what, how would you do this? And, and I'll get help with it, so. Uh, the thing with this industry is that also things are always changing. Like it's hard to be like, oh, this is worth this amount because it fluctuates. Like one day it's up, one day it's down. New companies are in, old companies are out. Things are always changing and you, you can't, it's not stagnant, right? Like it's just normal that things are always evolving and prices are all over the place and depending who's president Very, very much <laughs> and, so, yeah. and what's happening in China. Like we're so dependent on China as game, well, especially for board games that yeah. like you, you just got to keep on it every day. Yep. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if that maintains in the future. But for right now, that's certainly the state of affairs. And, it, and it, I'll tell you what, it really wasn't like, like when I started doing game stuff back in the mid 90s, you know, we didn't, we, everything was printed domestically or in Canada. Canada was the big, Canada was where you went for the discounts, you know. Really? Oh, yeah. It was cheaper than cheaper than America at the time. Yeah. We, uh, printing with Transcontinental or Quebecor um, were big back then, too. Uh, this is me being an old man. Uh, but uh, yeah, but it's it's just the landscape is completely different now. And and now China is kind of like some people are going and looking in like, uh, you know, uh, Vietnam or other places like that as well. So always chasing the lowest price, uh, you know, because obviously you're trying to make your profit. But yeah, you're right. It's it's it's, it's very much in flux, especially these days with the way technology is, de is uh, developing. It's it's uh, it's moving very quickly. And then depending on what type of product you're producing, you know, uh, that may also determine where it is you need to go. I mean, Jesse mentioned for, you know, board games and, and tabletop stuff, uh, if you're doing extruded plastics or anything like that, I mean, China really kind of is the place that's got the facilities for that, yeah. uh, that, that are affordable. Where for RPGs, like, uh, like me and Hal, I mean, we print in Canada and in the U.S. and with Lithuania and China, yeah, too. Um, Eastern Europe is becoming sort of a hotbed of book printing at this point, so, yeah. Uh, it's it's very strange. <clears throat> Do right, so yeah, yeah, I was about to ask the same question. We're about halfway into this. Uh, maybe we could open this up for questions if there's anybody out there that has anything that they want to ask. If there's anybody who's sipping their coffee and wants to know how, about business. Or we can just talk. We yeah, we can talk. So Jesse, what's your uh, what is your first uh, have you brought your first product to market yet, or are you still in the development of it? Oh boy! So I I built games my whole life. I built games in my basement for fun. I never thought I'd be able to publish a game. It's funny because I'd always bring my games to like okay. So on the broadcast, them. you just asked to ask for questions, and we don't have any yet. Okay. So uh, we don't have questions. So I'll just keep talking. Yeah. Um, I'm hearing so, that we don't have any questions. <laughs> so I built a board game and um, people kept telling me I should publish it, like people around me, but I had no idea how. I was like, you can't just publish a game. You have to be sleeping with someone at Hasbro or like be married to someone like. So <laughs> thank, thank God it's <laughs> required. <laughs> right. I was like, okay, how would one publish a game? So I kind of went through a lot of steps to get to where I am. But I was trying to self-publish, and I didn't know anything about game design or the industry. And I was—I had a website. I was selling games that I was making from my basement, and I was just like, "Yeah, I'm a game designer." <laughs> well, you were. I mean, you know, <laughs> technically, but I knew nothing. Like my games were like "Roll to Move," and like we won't—we won't talk about them. <laughs> 
but uh, but uh, so so my story is like a little bit different because I was self-publishing for years and I was just having fun doing it. I just wanted to make games and I just wanted to see people play them. Like it wasn't about money. It wasn't about it was just is my passion. So now that like I'm doing it much more seriously, it's like people are like, have you ever published games? And I was like, well, yes, but I don't know if it actually counts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, anytime you have sold a game to somebody, you have published a game, I think. So, you know, that's I've, I've sold games. <laughs> yeah, I used to go. go to conventions around Canada and bring these homemade games. And I would buy boots and play these homemade games and sell them and people would buy them. And I was like, oh, I sold the game. Oh. Yeah. Well, congratulations. You were a publisher upon that moment. Thank you. So you were making games in your basement. Has your production now shifted out to like kind of the Chinese extruded plastic stuff? Or where, where is it now? So, oh, OK. You all have to promise me not to Google this. Okay, here's one question. Uh, does the advice that you're giving apply to different types of game design, like digital and tabletop? Uh, well, let's let Jenny, Jesse finish her point. We just got a question, and we'll we'll get to that as uh, Jesse finished what you were saying there. Um, what was I? You lost your train of you lost your train of thought. It's cool. <laughs> oh yeah. So when I went to Metatopia, when I won the sponsorship, and I learned a couple things. I, uh, I've learned the hard way that I was not um, born. I don't have the skills to do it all. I'm a creative. I don't have the mindset to do all of the accounting and the distribution and the manufacturing. Like That's not me at all. And so the thing I don't want you to Google is the Kickstarter I did for my very first game. Because it was, <laughs> I, did, I did this knowing nothing. I did it by myself in my living room. I took my phone. I'm like, hey, it's me. I'm making a video. Check out my game. Yeah. So it's, it's a disaster. but many 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 lessons that were very valuable and um so i learned that that's not me so i've, I've taken mostly everything off there's a couple things still like i'm self-publishing because mm -hmm. it worked but i'm trying to sell the publisher so since metatopia i've been refining my games i've been refining myself as a designer building better games doing a lot of research at what works what's fun what doesn't and um for the last two years, I've been really like honing my work to sell to publishers. So I am not doing the distribution or all that other stuff. Okay. So you're actually setting up almost sort of a design house sort of model then, right? Where you're going to bring designs to other people to publish. Cool. So that's actually yeah. another, that's like a different business model than, than, than the publishing model. But that's actually really good to know that that's sort of where you're going with your inclusion. Now, I think the question was, uh, was uh, does the advice we're giving apply sort of across the board in terms of all different types of games? Um, is that, is that, I think that was the question. Does it uh, apply to, to digital as well as tabletop? I think all of us, uh, well, all of us mean, are in the tabletop space here. Um, I, uh, how have you been involved in anything digital at all? Well, it's, I mean, it, well, the question is: Are we talking digital like you're doing pure digital publishing? Like, say you've just set up set up yourself over at itch.io or something, and you're selling a bunch of games there or something like that, or if you're actually selling like a, a digital video games, which is a sort of a different thing. But or, I will say- a version of a board game, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll say this. If you are setting up a thing that you are selling to make money, you will be taxed on that and you are basically running a business. So I think that the, the advice kind of does 
does apply in terms of the structuring of your business and everything like that. Like, you know, if you're making money, you are running a business. And I think that that is sort of sort of something where, where what we're talking about, you know, like, like, for instance, the design house model, if you're selling games, you're going to be making money from selling those games. And you need to create a business entity if you're doing it for a living to handle that income and, and structure your, your, uh, your, you know, structure your intellectual property stuff. That's another thing is like uh, if you're if you're uh, if you're doing design house stuff, presumably you'll be licensing some you'll be selling, but you might also be licensing some of the games that you sell. I would presume, and and that that's something that you'll want to have a, a structure in place for. So I think that even if you are not creating physical products, the basic things we're talking about in terms of structuring your business would apply. Would you guys agree with that? I mean, just because you're yeah. making money. Yeah, I th I think uh, you know if if you're looking at like uh, PDF publishing. That's going to be very analogous to a lot of the stuff that we're talking about on the RPG side because the only uh, step that you're skipping there is, is the printing and distribution. The distribution model is going through whatever site you're using, whether that's itch or drive through or anything like that. I think if, if you're developing, like, uh, if you're developing tabletop, but uh, digital tabletop or uh, tabletop simulator type stuff, I know there's a lot of companies in the industry. That are getting into that but are not handling it in-house themselves they're contracting with other developers to do uh like digital versions of games of tabletop games that they have set up uh i know yeah. i know that that's fairly common but it's, it's not something i've got experience with personally yeah yeah if, if we're talking about actually running like a effectively what is a digital games company where you're creating, you know, electronic products, our expertise probably is not as applicable just because there may be things that we don't know about. Um, but if you're selling digital versions of tabletop games, I think that what we're talking about pretty much applies because like I said, you're running a business. It's just a matter of, of it's, you, you've just managed to lop off a couple of requirements and components from what you're doing. You're still generating money. Um, you're still creating intellectual property and you're, you're going to want to protect your intellectual property and account for your money you know, that you're generating. What they said. <laughs> and I, I'd imagine uh, that uh, downloading uh, uh, a, a, uh, a game from Steam that you've developed that's a, a digital game that would be a tabletop game if it were physical um, is pretty similar to like the drive-through or itch model uh, on the digital side. I'm, I'm, uh, it's the iTunes model. It's uh, you know we put stuff up there, and the the house that is uh, managing that site is taking a cut off every sale, etc. Yeah, I think one other thing that maybe shouldn't be skipped on is is uh, it sort of goes back to what you mentioned at the beginning, Brian, which is where you've got you know you've got your your roommate who is a, a, a financial services guy is uh, find partners. I mean, find people who who can help you out and do what you want to do because. A lot of people, like for instance, I will freely admit that the running of my company is the least interesting part of what I do. It's like the, I, it's the thing I do so I can make the games, and I don't really actually have that much interest in it. But other people uh, really like running companies. Um, um, just as an example, uh, Atlas Games is run by John Nephew. John Nephew loves business, like he loves running a company, and he's really good at it. And it's made his company really successful because he has he has partnered with creative people and he has the ability to realize when something is good creatively. He does his own creative work as well, but he loves running the company. And because he loves it, his company has done really, really well um, uh, and has produced really, really cool creative stuff. 
So if you can find somebody who loves the business side uh, and yet it still understands what, 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 you know, still understands, you know, games, that's a really valuable thing to have. So. I'm definitely learning that um, partners are super important, especially in game design, because when you build anything like you're so your experiences in life, what you know, who you are, what you project is very centered to you and having someone else come in and bring their experiences can make a project from great to amazing. Mm -hmm. And running a business is the same way. Again, see, like I am not the marketing distribution numbers. That is not me. I tried it. It was a disaster. And yes, like doing everything yourself, it's easy working by yourself. But if you want to take things a step higher, if you want to be, you know, incredible and amazing, you need to work with other people who can fill in the gaps where your weaknesses are. And that's, I find, is the key to success is really having a winning team. Absolutely. Okay. Like uh, like uh, sales, for instance, sales and marketing is a dark art. And if you can find somebody who can do it, it it's amazing to watch them because you'll realize how badly you were doing it. <laughs> When uh, when we formed Alligator Alley, uh, uh, there were three partners, and uh, each one of us had uh, a, a particular skill set that we did better than the other two. Uh, uh, you know, I was handling kind of the graphic design and layout. We have a writer, and we have uh, a person that handles kind of the business end of things. Uh, but we are all interested in all the different aspects of design, so we're we're learning from each other. Uh, I think uh, I think uh, my my writer partner has has now eclipsed me in terms of design, uh, in what he's picked up and learned from me, and and we're try and we're both uh, learning uh, kind of the production and uh, and uh, business end from our our business partner. Uh, I think that another thing that happens when you when you have partners is that um, they serve as a great motivator uh, to to get stuff done. If you've got the right partners. Um, it, a lot of times when you're facing stuff yourself, it can get overwhelming or you can be like, oh, my, I don't know if I want to handle this thing right here, right now. When you've got other partners and you get people depending on you and they're, and they're there to help you, uh, if you get stuck in a place, uh, it can be a great facilitator to keep things moving and to push stuff further along. And I recommend it. Mm -hmm. I definitely back that up 100%. Uh, I find in game design, it's very easy to procrastinate, push things off because like I'm super passionate about my games and sometimes I hardly feel like I'm working and it's like, it doesn't feel important. But when you have partners who are, who are depending on you, exactly like you were saying is it pushes you to keep moving forward. Yeah. And it can be good validation too, where you're like, well, I'm not really doing anything. Somebody's like, you just designed the game. You're good. You know, or something like that. I, 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 sort of a, so my larger Green Road and Publishing has been around for a while, and we're a little bit more formalized as a company, and we have internal roles and stuff. And Atomic Overmind Press is <clears throat> more sort of like uh, uh, one of my one of my sort of I'm the only business person, but I'm partnered with a couple of creative people who I really love, and we sort of characterize it as it's like a band. So you know, we 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 uh, we, we function a lot less formally than the larger company, but you know, the the band is important and supports it, each other in the band. So and and the band does not work really well if if uh, you don't have everybody there, so. Do we have any more okay, questions? So a question from Super Dracula Man, from your self-published games, how did you do art? 
Super Dracula Man. All right, uh, asking if you're uh, uh, for your self-published games, how did you do art? Oh boy, art, art is like, oh, so that was the, so when I built my first games, the very first thing I was told, so the first games I built, I just downloaded pictures off the internet. Again, I was just doing this for fun. And when I was looking into publishing, they're like, you need your own art. So I'm like, all right, how does one do that? There are a lot of freelance sites online, but I would tell you from experience, um, they're not very reliable because people will take things off the internet and sell them as their own. And then you feel like you just bought art you can sell. And then someone comes after you and is like, oh, that's my art. I was like, but I paid an artist to do this. So be wary of freelance sites. That is my experience. But even in the gaming industry, there are so many people who do art. There are illustrators among us uh, at Metatopia, on the forums, online, in social media. They're very easy to find. Each one kind of has their own rates and their own abilities, their own styles. So you really need to do a lot of research. Um, my partner is an illustrator in the game design world, and I am so thankful because it was a very long journey of bad art, hard lessons, because you cannot sell art you do not have the rights to. And just because someone in an email says, yeah, I made this art, you can sell it, it doesn't mean that they are the artist or that they have the rights. It's a very complex, murky waters, and it's you got to be very careful and you really need to know who you're working with and um, what you have a right to sell and make money money off of and that kind of thing. Yeah. It's, uh, if you're going to buy stock art, buy it from a reputable site, um, uh, uh, you know, stuff like like a Shutterstock or something like that. They're very clear about what rights you have and what you can do with it. Um, if you are buying stuff that's more in the hobby space, you can go to drivethroughrpg.com and there are people selling stock right up on there. And that's probably pretty safe just because it's on drive-thru and drive-thru will back stuff like that. Um, uh, you know, contracting, I, I would say if you're contracting, if you're, if you're hiring somebody freelance, uh, take a moment, go out. Uh, we should probably mention that you can find a lot of like boilerplate contracts and stuff like that out on the internet. And you should definitely contract artists when you are hiring them to do art because that will negotiate. Uh, you know, the legal liability for uh, the, uh, you know, basically it, it's a contract that, that is the artist saying, I made this art for you and I am transferring the legal rights to it for you. Um, uh, that That's for work for hire. It, this is getting a little in the weeds in terms of art stuff, I guess. I'm, I'm an art director, so I'm kind of up to here in this stuff. But um, uh, there's work for hire, which means you own all the rights at the end of the day, which largely while it gets kind of a bad rap in the art community is a way to do it if you're dealing with something that involves your intellectual property uh but there are other ways to do it too like if somebody has done a really cool piece of art you can go get second use rights for it or if it hasn't been used in your space uh you can license the art and just use it for that one time but you know just make sure that you are like 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 jesse said make sure that you are dotting your i's and crossing your t's in terms of making sure that the artist does in fact did in fact create the art has the legal rights to it and can grant you those rights either on a limited or a permanent basis. Because yeah, a lot, yeah, so a lot of times uh, when you're dealing with an artist, they might have like a set contract that they like to use, uh, and uh, that's great if you don't have one uh, that that you've uh, pulled off uh, the internet somewhere or that you've gotten uh, uh, from uh, from a, a lawyer friend. Again, it goes back to. Uh, <clears throat> having access to a professional, right? So you can have somebody that can review a contract that's coming to you from an artist. Very often, uh, anything in a, in a contract is, is up for negotiation for change. You can tweak things. Uh, we've dealt with a lot of different artists and every one of them has allowed us to make 
uh, alterations to the contracts that they've uh, set up and we've had everything reviewed. Uh, for the art that we've put into Espergenesis, uh, we've had a mixture of commissioned art. Uh, we've used uh, image portfolios uh, and uh, we've used services like uh, Hal's like, like mentioned, uh, uh, iSoccer123. Uh, and uh, then we've also reached out to artists whose work that we found on places like uh, ArtStation. Uh, of course, yes, you definitely have to verify that they're the actual artist, but if you can do that, uh, and get the good contract with them, we've been able to negotiate uh, some second use rights on some pieces uh, for our stuff that is some of our best art. And this is stuff that maybe was used once uh, for something uh, and now the rights have gone back to the artist and they can license this out again. Some of the things are, they're, they're not quite like portfolios or, uh, or royalty free images, but you can kind of make that negotiation with the artist to set up uh, a system like that. So. Uh, in that way, you can actually come within a reasonable budget on art uh, if you're willing to be flexible uh, in what goes in there. And if you're not super hung up on that, that everything that it goes into your book has to be something uh, freshly and new created just for you. And um, let's also not sleep on the fact that there are, if you Google carefully and uh, look at reputable sites, there are a ton of free images on the internet. There's like a ton of stuff that's in the public domain that you can go out there and get, and you can find really, really high, high quality images of them. There are people who are, who are doing the noble work of, of putting up professionally curated archives of absolutely free stuff. Um, stuff like, you know, a lot of museums are putting their collections of stuff that, you know, that is online at image qualities that are perfectly suitable for di either digital or print use. So be careful. Don't just grab anything off the internet. Don't do a Google image search. Find the first thing you like and grab it. Uh, but but there are really really good resources out there, uh, and especially if your game falls into certain categories. Like if you if you can use historical images, oh, you're set. There's so much stuff out there that is absolutely absolutely free. So Google carefully. I, I just want to add on that note that. Uh, I, I made the mistake starting out. I spent a ton, a ton of money on art, on games that weren't finished products. And when I showed my games to publishers, they're like, this is a finished game. And I was like, well, no, it's just my prototype. I invested so much money on games that I had to redo art for. You don't need to invest money in art, in things that aren't fully developed. I think people get lost. Like if my game looks great, people will love it. And that's not the case. You have to let your mechanics and your game speak for itself. Yes, art is great. Art is beautiful. and Everyone is automatically attracted to it, but you don't need to invest so much money to make something look amazing. When people, when publishers, publishers know a good game. And even if you try to be like, look at the sparkles, they're not like, oh, I'll buy your game. In the end, what really works is a working game. And that's really what your focus should be on and not spending a ton of money on art that isn't going to give you an end result that you want. And then you spent thousands of dollars on a prototype that you end up shelving. You never know, right? So don't invest in art until it is the appropriate time to do so. Save yourself some money and really use, there's a lot of free stuff that's really easy to find and people to help you do that. Absolutely. I would say if you're going to spend money on anything for the looks of a prototype, speaking of, this is speaking as a publisher, if somebody were bringing it to me, just throw a couple bucks at a competent graphic designer and ask them to put the rules in a good shape so they're readable and stuff. And that's a much better use of your time than putting art, your own art on it. Yeah, absolutely. The, ga the gameplay will sell your game. It's not the art that you put on it that's going to sell your game. 
Yeah. Once once it's on the shelf and in the store, you know, the art becomes important. If you're selling your your design to another publisher, they can handle that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Uh, if, if you if you're putting your game through a through a, a crowdfunding uh, process, um, very often the money that you're raising is going to be going toward uh, expensive things like art. So maybe you maybe you only need like one solid piece of art to help you with your Kickstarter. Uh, and then the money that you raise from your crowdfunding is going to go toward arting it out at the end uh, if you're if you're producing it yourself. But yeah, uh, the, your your biggest expenses for a, a, a tabletop product are printing and art. Uh, yeah. And then and then and you get into writing. Those, the game designer should not be bearing should not be bearing those costs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, Whitney is a small indie designer publisher and would like to know how you find printers who are willing to do small print runs. Okay, so uh, we have a question about uh, someone who wants to know about if they're doing small print runs, how to find a printer. Um, the first thing I would do is, is look into uh, to, uh, print-on-demand options, uh, of which there are, I mean, don't just go like, I'll go to Lulu and we'll do that. I mean, there are there are actually a ton of options out there right now for um, for uh, uh, printing small press run stuff. And some of them can do pretty high-end finishes on small press run stuff. And if you're selling direct, that's a bearable cost, right? Like if you're selling your game to some, you know, if your cost on your game, if you're selling your game for 30 bucks and your cost on it is 15 and you're only selling direct, you're netting $15 profit on each one. And that's pretty, or, or you're netting 15, that's not necessarily profit. Uh, uh, but, but uh, so, so look into that sort of stuff because you can, and if it looks good, you can charge more and stuff like that. But certainly, the indie game space has allowed. Um, they've been kind of a cool thing overall because they've been an agent of raising the prices that we can charge for games. Which I don't say in a mercenary context, but I say in a we charge too little for the things we we sell. Honestly, because you know the the amount of re replayability and stuff that is in your general game that is sold in the hobby game space. Eclipse's video, uh, most video games, not all, but a lot of video games pretty completely, and video games charge a lot more than we do a lot of times. So um, so I would say uh, do some some heavy Googling in terms of print-on-demand stuff. Um, uh, uh, Lightning Source is, the, is one of the big ones. Uh, Lulu is another one. There's Create Space, But there are also a bunch of others So that I can't pull off the top of my head right now because I haven't done a lot of POD stuff lately. Um, but definitely look into that sort of stuff in terms of, uh, of starting out. Um, Getting into offset, uh, off, offset printing is bad for small print runs. It's just, it will cost you too much. Um, if you're not printing at least 1,000 to 1,500 of something, you probably should be going with print on demand um, because uh, because print on demand will give you price breaks at higher quantities, but you'll still end up spending less than if you do uh, that single quantity at, a, um, at a, a print house because the setup costs for setting up the print job are kind of fixed. So there's like a, a spit when you're doing a print job, there's fixed costs. And once you get above that, everything gets cheaper, the, the quantity that you do. Um, but if you're below that threshold, you're just gonna be paying that cost no matter what, and it's gonna cost you a lot more. Sorry, this is something I have heavy uh, contact with. <laughs> oh, then that's, that's definitely good info. I guess it depends on what you consider a small print run. You know, yeah. there, are, there, are, there are plenty of little boutique bespoke uh, uh, print houses that will do some really amazing stuff. Uh, you'll wind up paying a, a, a pretty decent amount per unit if you're running something really small. If your print run is say you know 100 or less, um, but like Hal said, the, the 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 value that's assigned to stuff like that in the in the minds of the consumer 
has thankfully been uh, been pushing up, right? So, uh, you know, I, I take a look at something. Well, something that actually saw a, at least a fairly decent size print run, like a thousand year old vampire, had all these amazing production qualities uh, involved in it. Uh, it's not a big book, but it costs the same as a big book uh, to purchase. But we haven't had any problem selling it because it's just really neat. Uh, yeah. It was a cool idea, and and the, and the production values are there. Uh, so so if you're if you're looking to get like really cool production values out of your small print run, uh, poking around and finding like a bespoke printer uh, or a printing service might be one way to do that. If you don't think that uh, that your your end product is going to be like a price sensitive product, and your mileage is going to vary on your printers also. Uh, like uh, we talked about printing in different countries, uh, an offset print run of average size is going to be different <clears throat> with one printer that I work with in Texas. Uh, with another, then with, uh, it might be similar to a printer that I work with in Minnesota, but wildly different from one that's working out of China or Lithuania. And all of them are going to have different features and options that they can add, right? Like currently we're, uh, we're printing one of our books uh, in Eastern Europe because they have the ability to do some embellishments and stuff on the production side of things that we weren't able to get out of our domestic printers. Uh, and uh, there, was a, there was a printer in China that came in that was offering a pretty good price at a much lower print run also. So I guess it depends on what you consider a small print run. If we're talking you know, 100 or less or 500 or 1,000 or 1,500 or 2,000, when you're getting into big numbers like that, you know, then you're, you're really not talking small print runs anymore. Yeah. Uh, one, impor one important thing to mention that I think we probably should highlight just if you're just getting into the industry is so if you're selling direct, you're obviously, you know, your costs are what, what you know, your costs are what the book costs to make. And then you're selling it to the consumer. If you're selling into the distribution system in, in, in most North America and most of the world, you're selling into a three tier system, which means you're selling to a distributor who then sells to the retailers. Because of that, you are selling at a significant discount. You're going to be selling your book into the distribution system at basically probably around 30 percent of your cover price. And when you are setting the price of your game, you need to keep that in mind. It's a really important number to have because the, the, you're, if you're only getting 30% of your cover per copy, you have to make sure what you're going to sell is going to cover your costs. So, so just note that those are the differences. If, I, you know, if I'm selling a $30 game that costs uh, you know, uh, $15 to make direct, I'm making 15 bucks. If I am selling a $30 game into the distribution system that costs $15 to make, I'm getting $9 and I'm losing $6 per book. So keep that in mind. And that's why higher print runs are, are it's sort of a balancing game where you're like, if you're going to offset printing, you're printing, say you're printing 3000, but your cost per book was only more like, you know, $5 or something. So you're actually getting $4 per book, but you have to sell enough that you cover the costs of the initial part, where if you're selling direct, you know, if you, if you, if you, if it was $15 per book, uh, then, you know, uh, then you're getting 15 per, and you might be covering your costs on a completely different, uh, level. But the idea at the end of the day, of course, is to, you know, make a little bit of money on the extra so you can pay your bills and you don't want to end up in the hole, um, you know, just from the get go with your printing choices. Okay. Sorry, everybody. We have to start wrapping this up. We've got to prepare for the next one. So please in about four minutes, can you wrap up the panel? Okay, we've been asked to wrap it up here, so I guess maybe we, why don't we go around and do a final word from everybody? Would that be good? Sure. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll go quick. Uh, so I'm just going to go back and reiterate what, what, uh, what we said before. I'll touch on some of the things we talked about over the course of the hour. Uh, seek out the advice of a, of a professional when you're getting started. Surround yourself with capable and motivating and varied skill partners. 
uh, know who it is that you're selling to or have some idea of who it is that you want to be selling to and find the right pathways to get to the people that you want to get your stuff to. Okay, Jesse. Game design for me is a passion. When you're doing what you love, things will come. It's very easy to get discouraged. And especially in a world where you're selling your ideas to other people, there's a lot of rejection. And that's because you have a style, you have a, a way of doing things and a way of showing things to the world that is perceived differently from people. So never ever get discouraged because one day, you know, it's going to work out and you just gotta do what you do and what you love and everything else is details. And don't let the details bog you down because your ideas are unique to you. They are fantastic and you can do it. All of us are here for the same reason. And there's a lot of game lovers out there. There is a boom in the industry. Now is the time to be here. You are at the right place at the right time. Uh, and I'll just uh, say that uh, making games doesn't have to be a business. And if you just want to do it for fun and a hobby and sell sell stuff just to barely cover your costs and make some cool stuff, that's perfectly cool. If you want to turn it into a business, like what everybody said, just do your basic research. Uh, be careful. Uh, don't go with the first thing that comes your way. Uh, use the internet, but don't believe everything you see on the internet. And um, yeah, I mean, just just uh, uh, move forward carefully and and dot your I's and cross your T's. And I think that's probably about it. So uh, I guess with that, shall we uh, wrap it up, everybody? And thank everybody for coming and getting up with us this early on a Thursday. And it was nice to meet you, Jesse. It was Hope nice to meet you guys. Ho hopefully. I may have met you at, at, at Metatopia before. Uh, all of us Probably. are Metatopia in-person veterans. Uh, but you meet a lot of people at Metatopia. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Hopefully next year in person again. Yeah, yes. that, would be great. that would be wonderful. Yeah, it would. All right. I think we're done.